0: mai This week, episode two of the podcast series, Getting Better, a year in the life of a Māori medical student, with trainee doctor Emma Espina. Nō This week, a road trip. Emma joins rural doctor, Kyle Eagleton.
1: There are some rules, normally, with this drive, We normally have at least one animal kind of on the road that we have to avoid and there's normally at least one car that travels on the opposite side of the road to us that we have to avoid as well. So if we don't see that, then we've failed.
2: The first thing you need to know about being a doctor in rural New Zealand is that it really helps if you like being in the car.
1: So I hope we've got enough petrol. 192 (laughs) k's. I think that's okay. So we're going to a place called Tuparihuia. It's on the map as being Bland Bay, but I think it's a very bland name, so the Māori name is Tūparehuia.
2: From Bird of Paradise Productions for RNZ, call Emma Espina Aho, and this is Getting Better, a year in the life of a Māori medical student. This is episode two, Tūparehuia. I asked the university if I could go to Northland for my fifth year GP placement.
1: Mostly it's a, a holiday destination, um, so it gets very crowded and busy in, in summer. And it's up on the coast road towards uh, um, Rafati, on the old Russell Road. There's a small community first aid post that's there. And we kind of, like, um, use, use that for our, for our base. And, um, local Actually, I
2: didn't ask to go to Northland. I asked to go to Kyle. Dr Kyle Eagleton is a GP working at Kiorangatiwai, the Kaupapa Māori health service where I did my placement. I thought I knew vaguely what a kaupapa Māori health service is, and does, but actually, as you'll hear, I had a lot to find out. So how does a Pākehā doctor end up here? On the drive to Tūpārihuia, we had plenty of time to find out.
1: I was a GP in a, in a rural setting, uh, in rural Kāka, and I was working in a practice and this had built up quite a large practice, and I was quite passionate about... Um, trying to do the best for people. And one group of people that I realised that I probably wasn't seen as much as what I could have been seen was Māori patients. Um, I was seeing a lot of Māori patients, but I thought that there were some people that weren't actually turning up to see me. And I kind of started to think about some of the reasons why. One of the things I did was I um, audited myself. Um, So I looked at what my prescribing was of certain medications, And I was really surprised to see that I was under-prescribing some medications to Māori. And it was kind of like an epiphany for me about, about myself and who I was and what my thinking was. So I kind of like started to really critique myself every time I was in a consultation. Just about what my thought processes were and why I was thinking that way. And what made me stop kind of like prescribing medication or having... Um, assumptions that were based on any fact or reason.
2: Most GP practices audit things like cardiovascular risk screening and whether they're doing enough cervical smears. Kyle audited himself. This is actually a central tenet of medicine, self-reflection and careful analysis of your clinical decision-making. But racism isn't something that medical practitioners have traditionally worried about because well, how could racism make your patients sick?
1: What I realized was that we, we all hold some kind of like bias within ourselves that influences our behaviour and our patterns of thinking. So that challenged me, and one of the things that I subsequently did was that I approached Kianati Way. So Wai was active in, in Ruakaka. They didn't have a doctor at the time and I thought well, I could possibly help out and I could run an outreach clinic for them. And, um, yeah, that started about 10 years ago and uh, kind of, I guess, over time things evolved.
2: I was curious about whether he thinks it's changed him.
1: One of the things that stuck in my mind a little while ago was just the way in which I approach my consultations. So when I don't know someone, I... Meeting, meeting them for the first time, I spend a lot of time on developing a relationship and, you know, doing Tanga and finding out a little about them and telling them who I am and where I'm from. And um, a, a number of times, a little while ago, people said to me, well, what happened? and iwe are you from? And that kind of made me think, oh, my, well, maybe I have changed. I guess I'm becoming more um, ordinary, in a sense. And the reason I use the word ordinary is because... The word Māori means ordinary, and so if we're going to work in a bicultural way, then I think it's important for Pākehā to become ordinary in a Māori sense. Does that make sense?
2: Obviously, I'm into this. Pākehā doing the work to become ordinary in the Māori sense, not the other way around. A flow-on from this is the change in how he thinks about power relationships between doctors and Fano.
1: I think there's different things you can do in a consultation to try and pass decision making over towards patients and you know I could I could describe something to you, something that might be happening to you in medically in, in very complex terms and uh, you know, that is not a power equaling process. So I use things like drawing a lot. So I would draw pictures to try and describe things that are going on with a person. Some people are quite visual, and that tends to help them with their understanding. Uh, Use kind of like different techniques around health literacy. So tell me, you're the doctor. Um, I've just explained something to you. Can you pretend that I'm a patient, and can you tell me kind of what's going on? And if we do this, it helps me understand if I've um, you know, described things in a way that can be understood. We
2: drove to Tuparehuia down twisty roads, adhered to rules of driving in Northland, definitely saw some animals wandering freely and a local driving directly at us on the wrong side of the road. Kyle talks about how waiting rooms contribute to wellbeing. As it turns out, he has some evidence. He always has evidence. There's a PhD thesis out there about how the conversations between patients in waiting rooms is therapeutic. Hey,
3: ago, has it in dropped down, yeah. it? He said a minute. He said
2: a minute. Has it dropped down? Hey? Has it dropped down? Dropped no, it's
4: gone up. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone up to 168. Hmm. It was 154 last time I was here. I'm down to 132. And you know what it is. All those visitors you had. <laughs> <Yeah.
5: laughs>
2: These guys were already waiting for us when we got to Tuparehuia. Three of them sitting on the squashy couch outside the clinic in the tiny cabin by the sea with a packet of ginger nuts for us for morning tea. It's the little things. When was the last time you bought biscuits for your GP? The Tuparehuia clinic is a bit different to others in the area. This is a beautiful place to retire to and Kyle reckons the client makeup here is about 40% Pākehā. Everyone knows everyone and they all know Kyle.
4: Did you vote for Dr Cullen
2: on the, on the health board? Yeah, yeah,
3: I, I know. Did. I did, yeah. I voted for him. Did he get in? Yeah. Well, they take anyone these days, don't Because <laughs> <laughs> of a lot of rejects. <laughs> oh, you just wait
2: your turn. Kyle was elected to the DHB while I was on my placement. The stakes were high enough then, but they're even higher now, post-COVID.
1: It's a constant struggle, the political struggle. And I'm not the one to talk about it because I'm not Māori. I'm not living the, this political battle every day of my life. You know, when I come to work, that's when the political battle starts. But for, for my Māori colleagues, it's a battle every day to fight against the things that are kind of not right.
2: When you talk to people working in kaupapa Māori settings, they often tell you how services based on whakawhanaungatanga can be good for everyone, not just Māori. It's basically the opposite of working in silos, which most people agree is a crap way of doing things. Understanding how we relate to one another and why it's important might be described as whakawhanaungatanga in te ao Māori, but there's a universality to it which appeals no matter what your background. They also describe a way of working with whānau, that allows for a lot more than just your standard 15-minute consultations and writing out prescriptions. While we're at the clinic, a little thing happened which illustrated that. So Kyle was in the clinic, writing up his notes after a client, and we were outside in the waiting room. And Kyle comes out of the clinic.
1: I think she had a tooth problem as well. I
2: didn't deal with that. Oh yeah, I saw her touching her. I saw her touching her jaw. So he runs out to the car after her. Now, I'm used to this stuff with Kyle. He doesn't tend to prescribe antidepressants, for example, because of how long he spends talking to people. If someone's worried about their mokos or about work or about home or whatever, he'll find out. It's not technically a health issue a lot of the time, but often that's the way these things work in real life. Because of how kiorangatiwai works, he'll be able to put them in touch with a colleague who can provide some support. So he runs out to the car after this woman for a chat and then ends up coming back into the clinic with a different person the man who was in the car with her, for a look over. Like I say, I had time to get used to this with a month-long placement, but it was interesting seeing how his actions were perceived through someone else's eyes. Our producer Noel brought it up on the drive back.
0: I've never seen a GP run after a patient
1: before, Kyle. Oh, haven't she? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fairly regular thing it's because I've got poor memory and I keep on forgetting things. And I, As I'm typing up the notes, I'm like, oh, shoot, I've forgotten that. I'll have to run after them.
0: <laughs> but, but you went after a patient to pick up on something that they might not necessarily have told you.
1: Yes. So the two things. The First of all, the, the, the male patient wasn't going to actually come in to see me. He was just the transport in the car. But I've realized that I needed to catch up on him with a few things.
2: So you went and got him. Yeah. it's <laughs> some yes, proactive care. And then the
0: the second thing that happened was um was about a tooth, someone's tooth. So that's a whole other area,
1: right? Yeah, that was a whole other area. But that was a, an issue that she brought up, and kind of uh, I realized that I could possibly lead her in the right direction because she didn't know about how to go about getting her tooth taken out um, cheaply.
0: So what happens if someone needs a tooth extraction? If
1: they can't afford it and they've got a community services card. They can go to the hospital, but they'll still get charged $45 for having their tooth extracted, which is not great because one of the issues is that many teeth can be salvaged, and so people who are on low income, their their dentistry is miserable and they end up losing their teeth rather than having their teeth saved. And you can imagine what that does to your sense of self-esteem. Don't even
2: get me started on the inequity in dentistry. That's a whole other podcast.
1: We had um, some Fana Aura funding that we used for dentistry a little while ago. And I had one client who his self-esteem was so poor that it you know prevented him from smiling. And so we used our Fana Aura funding to get him some um, dentures seems like a simple thing to do. But he reported back to us that that simple thing was enough to boost his confidence up so much that he could now smile for the first time. Um, So he wrote us a little letter with a photograph of himself on it with him smiling, just to kind of show what can happen.
2: Imagine that you would go without smiling because you had to. In the case of that particular pot of money, the team also had up to $1,000 that they could use for remedial dentistry. That gave them autonomy and flexibility to decide the best use for the money. It's not the norm.
1: Almost all of our resources are constrained in some way. You know, that we're directed or told what we have to use the money on or how the programme is going to be run. A lot of our programmes aren't, um, we, we aren't given licence to develop the programme ourselves. They're imposed upon us and they're not imposed by Māori. You know, the design of the programme is not designed by Māori, it's designed by a funder who thinks they know best.
2: Well, this is highly topical, isn't it? One of the biggest debates right now is over Māori autonomy. I know this from working for a Māori public health organisation. Every little bit of money is dressed up in so much compliance that by the time you've paid your staff to write the reports, you've got very little to do the actual mahi. Māori have never been trusted with the purse strings, and we see the legacy of this in our people's entrenched disadvantage.
4: How much will it take for them to see that there's a better way? If I looked at the cold reality of what we have to work with, it would probably be enough to just pick up my piano accordion and go and sit on the beach for the rest of my life
2: and <laughs> you do your Zumba <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> exactly. This is Lynette Stewart. She's a former chair of Northern DHB, now CEO of Kiorangati Wai. She's a veteran in Māori health, and she doesn't mince her words.
4: I'm not dissing uh, the the mainstream people that we work with, but the criteria for monitoring and reporting and what have you often has little to nothing to do with the actual health outcomes of Māori. Mm. Most of the time, it's punitive stuff, and we have challenged it over and over again. It's widgets and digits that have nothing to do, Emma, with what you've seen out there you know, the huge levels of abject poverty in terms of, you know, health and housing and and, and you know, just mm. just about everything that you want to look at that has meaningful priority for for people to live a decent mm. life, unobstructed on their own terms. Mm. And you know, I um, I find it difficult and in fact I Basically, do not go to meetings which are merely talk-fests about what governments, any government of the day, uh, wants to do differently. Because we have talked till we're blue in the face. I don't know how we can actually rephrase what we've told them to get through the
2: tidiness. This is exactly what we were saying earlier. You will find it in every area of health, and it's frustrating, especially looking at someone like Lynette. She's got far better things to do with her time than oversee the ridiculous compliance requirements of these contracts. And the stakes are so small financially. These sums are in the tens of thousands of dollars, tiny amounts to fix
3: massive problems. We've got to report quarterly, you know, it's minimally, it's quarterly on most of our contracts. You, you just get one contract sorted and you've got, by the time you, you, you know, you've, you've had a chance to settle that contract, you've got another one to review. Sharon Russell is the
2: clinical manager at Kurangatiwai. It doesn't sound like a high trust relationship. No, no,
3: no. And I think that's well documented in the conversations that have been had and amongst Māori Health with Mm -hmm. with funders. You do feel like you've got to do things ten times better, document it ten times more for it to, to be meaningful. Sharon was the
2: very first nurse employed by the service. Now, as well as running the team here, her focus is on systems development and quality control.
3: I am really evidence based I want to make sure that everything we do we can evidence it well so a lot of that I think at home and then I do up the templates I've made them all from scratch you know made up my own auditing schedule for here and um, and my own teaching tools because I want them to be relevant to what our staff are doing. Just to be clear here this is the stuff Sharon is doing on her own
2: time at home after her eight or nine hours in the office in Kamal when you're working for your community this is all part of the job.
3: You don't come to work in a Māori health provider to make money. You do not come to a Māori health provider to to be thinking about your own career as growth. This is about really wanting to make a difference for the people you're here to serve. When I initially
2: came up here, I knew this was a kopapa Māori service, but I had only a vague idea of what that meant. It's obvious things, of course. Karakia every morning with waiata to follow. But the real meaning, the practical meaning, took me a while to understand.
3: You know, how it works is that you have a plan for the day and you just have to be resilient and be able to change your plan on a heartbeat because whatever walks through your door is what you see. And and that's what you... On any given day, you want to know that whoever walks through your door has been helped. Being in Northland with Sharon, Lynette and the team allowed me to see
2: how an organisation driven by Kaupapa Māori values is able to keep supporting whānau in situations
4: where the social safety net is not only frayed, but broken right through. And we've had this kind of thing, you know, we've had guys out there belting their pregnant partners up in the street and when you go in there and take hold of them and say, you know... Excuse me. And, you know, it, it kind of helps a bit when you've got the silver hair, you know. Because when I take <laughs> hold of this man who's busy, you know, whacking his hapu partner, I say, dear, what do you think you're doing? And he swings around, he takes, oh, you know. And I say, now don't be doing that. Come inside. Bring your partner in and the kids. <laughs> all leaping out of the car in various disarray. <laughs> bring them in and sit down with them. You know, that is actually a privilege, we talked a bit about including this part of Lynette's interview. Like,
2: does the world really need another story about a violent Māori man in Northland? But this is the reality of what the team are working with.
4: And that guy wasn't a monster. He was just beside himself. They'd lived in the car for five days already with about five children, and she was hapu, and almost ready to have the baby. And he lost it out on the street because she couldn't get anything from Wins, and they were on the run from somewhere else. So, you know... Getting hold of um, Calvin Davis MP of Taitukuro, and you know, and getting the networks going. Within you know 24 hours, we were able to sort that. We got them to a motel for the night. Most people would call the police. No, oh no, that's that's not the first call. You know, I mean, we yeah. are far no, and if we are are, are unable to actually, you know, and I mean profoundly able to, to reach and touch our whānau, Then I want to know what are we doing here? And actually we're not the right people. Essentially the first protocol is fuck a mm. It is Fano. And that's the first protocol. The police are not first, second call. And my team know that. They all know they know how to read what the CEO is doing so on the street and like that day I had this guy firmly by the hand. Not hurting him, but firmly enough for him to know that this lady wasn't gonna let go. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they're in there, the staff, you know, bringing in cups of teas and, and there's chocolate and milk and everything all over my floor and everything. But everyone's safe. If you can't, you know, if that's not going to be where you can reach the, you know, and get the outcome, then we've no business to be here, Emma. Leadership.
2: Lynette is living and breathing the solution along with Kyle, Sharon
4: and every member of her team. This is why I know that we can do much, much more. We are not the panacea for Farno for ill. We're not the panacea to fix up all the housing problems and social welfare issues and, and, and what have you. But we have got huge, huge ability here to actually work with Farno in a way that uplifts Farno, And that's what it's about. It's a difficult job, and you're working within the limits of the system.
2: But here again, I'm seeing the potential of a Kopapa Māori approach, a real one, all about Māori self-determination, and not just a political slogan, to make change.
3: But wouldn't it be great if conditions could be a bit more attractive for workers? It's really hard as a as a company to employ really high-skilled staff sometimes because you can't give them job security. We can only say the contract is for three years or the contract is for two years because who has got the luxury to say, well, if I don't have a job in three years, I'm OK with that. So that is one of our major struggles, is is hanging on to really skilled staff.
2: It's a hard decision a lot of us are facing. Do we accept these conditions, work in these environments and get that sense of fulfilment from it, Or do we go and do something else that's less onerous and better paid? We haven't talked much about nurses, but I want to mention that nurses employed by Māori and iwi providers have been shown to earn 25% less than their DHB counterparts. Now everyone I know working in situations like this does a mental calculation where they accept relatively poor pay for the privilege of doing meaningful work for the community – Sharon told us why she does it.
3: And, you know, there's nothing worse than if you've ever been anywhere in your life where you don't have the answer and it concerns you and you're worried. When someone says, there's the light, there's the door, the relief you feel, you know, and there's nothing more lonely to be in a place where you don't know where to go or where to turn, but you know something has to happen because you can't stay where you are. So the people I want working here are the people that are good at finding the doors and turning the light switch on.
0: Getting Better, a year in the life of a Māori medical student with trainee Dr Emma Espiner, produced by Bird of Paradise Productions. Now you can find the entire Getting Better series on the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. Next week, Emma is in South Auckland with Dr Outanga who also coaches a rugby team in Ōtara.
1: When my friends who... Um, who are doctors, uh, two Māori brothers that are, are doctors here in um, Counties Manukau, they, um, they had already been coaching the teams here at Hilary um, for two years, and they said, come on board, we've already kind of approached this idea about this academy with the school, and they're, they're, they've given us a agreement in principle um, to go ahead with it, so I came on board.
0: That's next week. You can also subscribe to the series on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you access casts ia tātātou kaupapa mō tēnei wiki to get in touch with the show. Email tiahika at rnz.co.nz. Kia maru tā to noho, tēnā katoa. It's
5: a cool June morning on the edge of the city It's so damn hot and my neck is feeling gritty I gotta find something to do Cause if I don't pretty soon, I think I'll go Every day seems like the same old thing Listen to the brothers talking about the damn Mac-10 I gotta roll Cause I got a feeling, I gotta keep the sound of the underground reeling. And I'm out like bell-bottom trousers, pretty funky chunky, dropping beats by the hour. And you know, the sisters on the boulevard, don't give me pops, they're just too damn hard. Droll right past them, roll right past them, even though they talk crap and make me want to blast them. Because I'm chill, I have to keep subliminal, cause I know my enemies are white-collar criminals. Shaking all our troubles away Doing the duty Going on Keeping on Till the break of dawn Come every Friday And I could've sworn I seen the same guy In the same shirt one the floor Had some trouble with the guys At the door Cause everywhere we go It's like a show You gotta watch your back Because you never know